0: church. How you doing? Good. Good to see you. I'd like to compliment you as a church. You have honestly, I'm not lying, honestly, you have one of the kindest churches we have ever been to. My wife would tell you, I'm not lying right now. I don't lie very often, but she would tell you for right now, for sure, this is not a lie. I mean, every single person that came through that door, you were so kind, To us, to me and my wife and our our boys, thank you so much for your kindness. If I lived here, I'm telling you, I would come to this church. I'm already convinced. This is a wonderful, wonderful church, and uh, I appreciate your kindness. (laughs) I appreciate it. The Lord has been good to your church, and uh, the Lord has been good to all of us. Can you agree? The Lord is good. My, uh, my wife and I, I don't know if my accent gives it away, I don't have much of an accent now that I've had to learn other languages, but my wife and I are Southerners. My wife is from Georgia, Savannah, Georgia, her whole life, born and raised. There's something special about those Georgia girls. There's one other one in here. She was playing the piano a minute ago. You know what I'm talking about. Those Georgia girls are special. I'm from the Carolinas, but, yes. praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord. But I have lived in West Virginia. I lived one year, my senior year of high school, I lived right here in West Virginia. How many of y'all have heard of Hardy County? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you? You heard of Moorfield, West Virginia? I went to Moorfield High School. You ever heard of Fisher, West Virginia? Some of you have? Population of 72 when I graduated. That's where I lived. <laughs> Fisher, West Virginia. Uh, you know the Lord's good, even in places like Fisher, West Virginia. So we'd, uh, we'd like to say thank you again just for having us here. I'm so glad it finally worked out for us to be here and to share with you a little bit about What the Lord is doing in Ecuador, South America, God has called our family, my wife, our two boys, Jaden and Levi, they have grown up on the mission field, they were pretty much babies when we got there in 2010, we got to the mission field, and uh, we are church planting missionaries working among the Quichua people group in northern Ecuador, the Bible was just recently finished in the Quechua language. About two weeks ago, it was officially released. And so I brought it back with me from Ecuador. And if you're interested in seeing, if you like different languages, I have a Bible right here just in case you'd like to see it. It'll be on our table right here after the service. You can come take a look at it. You have heard the Quechua language, whether you realize it or not. It's just a little language. Not many people speak it. But you know in Star Wars, y'all have seen Star Wars, right? Most of you have seen that movie. Uh, for those of you who haven't, I'm wondering why. Most of, you, most of the world has seen Star Wars now. Did you know that most, nearly all of the different sounds that the people and the things make, that they're all based on real languages around the world? The majority of them, at least. Well, there's one of them that is based on Quechua. Regret, regretfully, I can't speak English anymore. Regretfully, it is, what's his name? Jabba the Hutt. Jabba the Hutt, you know the big ugly worm? The way he speaks, if you listen to him next time, you're gonna hear what quichua sounds like. It's the language that we work with. And so next time you see that big ugly worm, just remember us and pray for our ministry if you would. I would appreciate that. (laughs) We're gonna show you a few pictures and uh, we'll tell you a little bit about our ministry as we go. And this mountain right here is called Imbabura. It's an extinct volcano. And the peak of it is about almost 16,000 feet. And our ministry is primarily around the skirts of this volcano. The people group that we work with are called the Imbabura, named after that mountain, the imbabura Quichua people. And if you can see in the bottom of that picture, it starts to turn bright green. Right where that changes in color between the lighter green and the darker green, that change is about 12,000 feet. The, the tree line is about 12,000 feet in Ecuador. And so from, from the tree line down is where the people live that we work with. The property that we live on is just a little bit further down out of that picture, right in that area. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. Second to West Virginia, of course, but it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And we'd like to show you a few pictures of the ministry that we do there. The Lord has blessed us with an opportunity to teach and lead a Bible institute. And we have two of them on Thursday nights, one on Thursday night and one on Saturdays. And we have a group of young people that are preparing themselves to serve the Lord And that's our heart as missionaries as we we plant churches. I serve as pastor in these churches. We do that kind of work. But the goal is that one day the people of Ecuador would take the ministry. And that's what every missionary desires. It's what Paul desired as a missionary. We want to see the people there uh, take courage. Is that the right word? To get excited about serving the Lord. And to do what the Lord would have them to do in their area and reach their own people with the gospel. We have a few other pictures here. The next picture is a... um, I'll tell you about our church, I'll go from generations in our church as we go up. We planted a couple of churches there and we've worked in church restoration in five different churches. And the church we're currently in is five years old. We planted the church in a Quechua village that had never had a gospel presentation, never had a gospel preaching church. And so we planted a church, just the four of us, our first year, many times it was just the four of us in our service, me and my wife and our two boys. So we did our services in English those days. And little by little, God blessed, and people began to come to the services. We have, in the area we are, we're in, there's a lot of animals, a lot of livestock, a lot of insects, a lot of weird creatures, and they all like to come into the service. We've had everything, we've had pigs, we've had chickens, we've had dogs and cats, every single service, we've had tarantulas, we've had scorpions, everything, they come in the service. And now on top of all of that, we have three little babies in our church, they're all six months old or younger, and so our services are very loud. There's a lot of distraction. But week by week, we do our best to preach the word of God to the Quechua people. This is Sisa. Her name uh, means flower in Quechua. Beautiful little, little young lady. We go into the next picture, you see our children. This is our children's ministry. The Lord is blessing incredibly. Uh, more and more children are coming out, hearing the gospel for the first time in their lives. And the young people in our church are beginning to, to take the reins and beginning to lead that ministry of the children. And we're thankful for that. Let's go up the the next, next generation. Here's some of the young people in our church, some of our teenagers. Every single person in that picture has an incredible, incredible story. Our boys, Jaden and Levi, they are, they are missionaries in their own right. They, they serve with us everything that we do. It's all Jaden and Levi, Jaden and Levi. Even just now, I couldn't get my microphone just right. I was like, Jaden, you got to help me out. I can't get this thing right. And uh, we're so thankful for our boys and the way they help us in the work. But every single person here has such an incredible story. I'd like to tell you about the lady on the end, the young lady with the little boy. It's not her son. It's someone else's. But her name is Gabby, and Gabby's about 24 years old and Gabby was led to the Lord by a member of our church who had received Christ about two or three years ago, and she began to share Christ with her, uh, with her cousin, Gabby. And it took well over a year she shared the gospel over and over and over again. In fact, at one point, she told us, she said, I'm sharing the gospel with Gabby, and I believe what you teach, that the, past, the, the gospel is the power of God and the salvation, but I'm giving her the gospel and nothing's happening. And so we just encouraged her, keep praying, keep giving the gospel, and over time, Gabby said yes to the Lord and received the salvation that the Lord can offer. She was baptized, she's been discipled, and as we speak, while we're here in the state, she's going through a book on discipleship, and uh, I'm sorry, a book on church membership, and when we get back to Ecuador, we're going to accept her as a member in this new church that we have planted, and so the Lord has blessed her in an incredible way. If you would, pray for her family. She's the only Christian in her family, which is pretty much the story of every single person that we work with, and so her mom... Her brothers and sisters, we've had the opportunity to share the gospel with them, and they're not interested at all. The only thing they want is for Gabby to leave the Lord, to leave the Word of God, to leave the church. So pray for Gabby that she can stand strong, and pray for her family that they can come to faith in Christ, if you would. I would appreciate that. So we go into to the next generation. We have um, these are some of the young adults. The lady in the black shirt, about three weeks ago, her name is Mafer, about three weeks ago, we had a baptism service. Our oldest son, Jaden, was baptized about three weeks ago in ice-cold Andean River. Literally, comes right off of a glacier, right through the valley that we're in. And so I had to get in there and baptize them. And it was a joy to baptize my son. I was ready to get out after that. But we preached the word of God there at the service, right at the river. And Mafir, we had been sharing the gospel with her for about a year and a half. And my favorite, that day, while we were there preaching the gospel, she received Christ as her Savior as we were there at the river, and we told her, we'd already talked to her about baptism before that, and we told her, we're already here, I'm already in the river, I'm already soaked, I'm already freezing, you might as well get baptized right now, and she, uh, she said, I'm ready. Tears on her face, she was scared to death, but she followed the Lord in baptism. If you can find our YouTube channel on our card, you can look, you can see a video of those baptisms, and the lady on the end, I'll tell you more about her here in a little bit, Let's go on to the next picture. And this is a a man named Miguel. Miguel's a member of our church. Miguel was the, the, the village drunk, basically. He was the guy who terrorized the community, caused all kinds of problems until the gospel came into his life and turned his life upside down and has completely changed him. And now, instead of spending his time in the bottle, You can see right here that he is at VBS and he's helping the ladies organize the yarn for a a project that we're doing, a, um, a craft that we were doing with the kids. And this is what he does. He's the sweetest man in the world. Every time we get to church, he has a big smile on his face, ready to serve the Lord, whatever the Lord would have for him. If you would pray for him as well, pray for his wife. His wife is named Maria. He is desperate to see his wife come to faith in Jesus Christ and he prays for her, we ask for prayer all the time, for his wife, we pray as a church, we pray individually, I go to his house and I pray with him, he wants to see his wife come to faith in Christ. There's one problem, his wife is a witch doctor, and I don't mean that jokingly, I mean literally a witch doctor, people go to her for the medicines and for the spells and everything, and so pray for his wife, she is very hard, very cold to the gospel, but we know that the gospel is the power of God, we believe that, and we believe that God can change her heart, so pray for his wife if you would. We have a couple more pictures I'd like to show you. This is, a, this is where we do, it's kind of the hub of our ministry. It's a ministry center that God allowed us to build over the last year or two. We, it was finished in May, and we moved in in June, began ministry. We live on the property, we do ministry on the property, and it's really the hub of, of our Bible institutes, our discipleship, counseling, everything that we do, it's really the hub of all of that. Uh, Brother Tim came down recently and helped us with some of the construction, his family have helped us with the construction. And uh, this is, just wanted to give you an idea of what it looks like. That big volcano that I mentioned is right in the background, right behind that, right behind the building. The Lord's blessed us in an incredible way. One day, if you get a chance to come and visit in Ecuador, you're welcome. You can come and, and see it firsthand. And then the next picture, one of the reasons we're in the States right now is because we need to raise some funds for, basically to finish the building. The building itself is finished. All the big stuff is done but there's odds and ends everywhere that need to be finished. And so we're praying that the Lord will provide. One of the things we do with all of the uh, discipleship and counseling and Bible Institute, everyone who comes, they bring their children. And so it's fun for our boys, they get to spend time with people, but we end up with a lot of children on the property which is wonderful, but we would love to have somewhere that they could go and spend time really to play, playground, that kind of stuff, and we're praying that the Lord would provide that. This is right there on the property. They play soccer. We'd love to set up some soccer goals for them, little things like that so that they would be able to to have a place away from the problems that they deal with. We deal with a lot of abuse uh, in the villages, lots and lots of issues in the villages that we work in, and so when they come, we want it to be a place where they can come and not have to worry about any of those kinds of things. And so pray for us, if you would. Pray for our ministry. And uh, do we have one more picture? Is that the last one? I believe that's the last one. I can't see the guy. I hope he can see me. (laughs) I think that's the last one. Now we're ready for the video, correct? Now we can go ahead and show the video, and then I'll come back and speak a little bit more after that. Thank you very much. That's cool up there, man.
1: Yes, it is. That is neat. Could you ever have imagined what all God would do? Uh,
0: No, I don't think I I ever could have imagined all that God was going to do and all the doors He would open for us here in the Kichwa villages. So, 2006, we knew that God wanted us to go to Ecuador as missionaries, And so we did what we had heard other missionaries doing. We were looking for a specific area where God would have us to serve. So we bought a map, the biggest map we could find of Ecuador. And with that map, we prayed all around the country. We prayed from the jungle to the Andes Mountains to the Pacific Ocean, out in that area, uh, out into the islands, just praying, God, show us where you'd want us to go, how you'd want us to serve here in Ecuador. And through praying around that map, God showed us one specific area in Ecuador where we felt like He wanted us to serve. It was up in Northern Ecuador uh, in the Andes Mountains, and it was an area that we didn't know anything about. We had never visited there. We didn't know anybody in the area, but we felt certain that that's where God wanted us to go. When we were raising support, God allowed us to go to a, a church in Tennessee that we didn't know then, but it was a church that would alter the course of our ministry and really change our lives forever. And the night that we presented our ministry to the church, we said the same thing. We're going to a place we've never been. There's people there that, that we don't know. We don't know any missionaries there, uh, but we believe God's called us to that area. And after the service that night, a veteran missionary came to our table and he asked us if we had ever heard of the Quichua people in Northern Ecuador. And we told him, no, we had never never heard that word, never heard of the people. And so he said, he said, I want you to come over to our table. I want to show you something that we, that we have. And so we went to his table, And right there on his table, there was a magazine that his mission organization put together. And that month they were focusing on the 10 largest unreached people groups in South America. And right on the front cover of the magazine, they were highlighting specifically the Quichua people from Northern Ecuador. And we looked at that magazine for a minute and we noticed there was a map of Ecuador on that magazine right on the front. And it showed exactly where these people lived. And it was the exact same area that we had been praying for, that God had led us to in our prayers. And we're looking at this thing in shock, realizing that God has called us to a place where there's an unreached people. There's people there who have little to no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the missionary told us that night, he said, you announced to the church tonight that God's called you to the exact area where this people group is located. He said, you should consider focusing your life and your ministry on these people. And it was in that very moment, talking to that missionary, looking at that magazine, we realized, This is exactly why God's called us here. He's called us to reach these people uh, with his gospel.
1: We finally felt like we had something more to tell the churches we visited after that. Not only where we were going in Northern Ecuador, but we actually had a people group that we were going to reach.
0: Two things that we did find out that were very interesting. Number one, we found out that there were no active missionaries among this people group. And as far as we could tell, they had never had full-time missionaries working among them. And we also found out that there was a very small group of believers somewhere in the in the Quichua villages. And so what we prayed from the beginning was that God would actually lead us directly to those believers. We believe that if God would allow us to reach the Quichua people, the best thing to do would be to start right there with the believers and see where God would lead us from that point. And so we spent two years raising support. We spent a year in language school and we even moved to Ecuador and spent our first two years in Ecuador praying the entire time that God would lead us directly to these believers.
1: Those first two years that we spent in Ecuador, where we could see in that direction lies our people group, but we couldn't get to them. We begged God, open doors for us, please. It just wasn't his timing. And we kind of went on our first furlough feeling a little downhearted. But when we got to the States, we asked our supporters that we visited, please join with us in fervent prayer that God will begin to open doors into these Quichua villages that we cannot open. And as soon as we got back to Ecuador, he started throwing the doors wide open. And we truly believe it is because of the prayer of not only the missionaries, but our prayer support that we had in the United States as well.
0: So God brought us the exact contact that he knew that we would need it was a quichua man that he had allowed us to meet and he was from northern ecuador he was from the exact same area that we had been praying for and that man invited us to come up to his village and of course we we were excited to go we told him absolutely we want to go with you and god led us not only that day to a quichua village but actually exactly to the quichua believers that we had been praying for for so many years one of the things we knew about the Kichwa people is that we had to be invited into their villages. In that first day when we met the Kichwa believers, one of the things I asked them that day is, is if that was true. And they said, yes, absolutely. They said, even there's even some villages that would arrest you if you went in without an invitation. But they told us that day, you don't have to worry about that. We'll get you into any village that you wanna go to. We have contacts, we have friends, we have family members. We can go anywhere you wanna go and we can help you preach the gospel in those villages. So from that day to a year later, God had already opened the door in 15 different villages and we were able to go into those villages and minister into those villages within the first year of going into that first village.
1: When we first started traveling up into the Quichua villages, one of the things we quickly realized is that spending time with them is very, very important. And so most of our days were filled with shucking corn right beside them or planting potatoes and plowing fields.
0: Quechua ministry is, is very different. There's a lot that goes on here, and we love it. We've, we've had a blast serving the Lord here in the villages. We never could have imagined, honestly, all that God would do here in the Kichwa villages. Uh, we're honored to be a small part of his work here, and what we're asking you is that you would pray for us. Uh, Stand behind us, pray for us, that God would continue to open doors in new unreached Quichua villages. And please continue to pray for your brothers and sisters, your Quichua brothers and sisters in Christ, that God could use them uh, to go out and to reach their own people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. first day that we went into that village, the very first village, they gave us something that we didn't realize would be a part of our life for many, many years, and that was Andean potatoes and Andean corn. The Quechua people grow those two things, potatoes and corn. When they harvest the potatoes, they plant the corn. When they harvest the corn, they plant the potatoes. This is all year long, potatoes and corn, potatoes and corn. If you go visit a Quechua family, they're going to give you a plate of potatoes and corn. Not corn like sweet corn from here, corn like uh, big kernels, it's white, it's not sweet. And that very first day we go in and we sit down with the family, they give us this plate, big old plate, potatoes and corn. And I got boiled potatoes here, no, uh, no sour cream, no bacon bits, no, no cheese, no butter, no salt, none of that, just a potato, nothing else, and then uh, the corn. And so they always taught us, and uh, we studied missions, my wife and I, they told us, they said, you know, you got to watch the people. How they act is how you need to act. You need to follow them. They're your model. Whatever they do, you need to act like them. I look different enough, and so I need to act like them as much as possible. And so we sit down. We're eating the potatoes, and everything's fine. And I look up, and the guy across from me, I didn't know him then. He became a very close friend. The guy across from me, he picks up his corn, and he uses his thumb, and he, and he breaks off a little kernel from the corn and gets it in his hand. And he eats it like this. He breaks off some more kernels, and he eats it like this. And I'm thinking to myself, That's weird. I've never done that before. I, you know, I've always eaten it like a typewriter, you know, the whole, just like how we always do it. And so I'm watching them, I'm telling my wife, I was like, I think that's how they eat the corn here, so we better do that. So we, uh, we start plucking off the little pieces of corn and, and we eat it just like that. Well, that became part of our life and we ate corn like that for years and years and years until about two years ago. We sat down with a, a family that had come to faith in Christ and we had never eaten corn with them before. We sat down with them and we were very close to them and, and she, the lady, she picks up a, the the corn and she eats it like a good red-blooded American she eats it just the normal way and I'm thinking to myself after so many years of eating it like this I'm thinking that's weird I haven't seen that in a long time and so I look at my wife and and we didn't say anything but we ate with them a couple times after that and every single time she would eat it the same way and finally I just couldn't resist anymore I said now why do you eat your corn like that and she said everybody eats their corns like their corn like this I said, no, <laughs> I know your culture better than you do. I said, no, you're supposed to eat it like this. You're supposed to break it off and eat a little bit at a time. And uh, basically, long, long, long story short, what had happened was that very first day we went into that village, the man was embarrassed to show us his teeth. So he was breaking it off like this and eating it like this so that we couldn't see his teeth. And every time after that, when we would go into people's house and we would eat it like that, the people would see us and they would think, well, that must be how the Americans do it. So they would start doing it like that. <laughs> And they just got it wrong for years, I'm talking eight, nine years, that's how it was, until finally we've been doing it wrong all this time, but now it doesn't matter, we we keep eating like that. We all have examples we follow, don't we? Good examples, bad examples. I was thinking about you as a church, you are a wonderful, wonderful church, I'm telling you. I'm not just saying that, this is really a special place. But you know, we as a church, we have a model that we have to follow. We have examples that we all should follow, every opportunity we get, everything we do in this church, should be following the example. Not the example of another church somewhere else. There's a lot of great churches in the world. There's been a lot of great churches throughout church history. But none of them give us the perfect model that we are supposed to follow. To follow that, we have to go back to the Word of God. To find that model that we need, we have to go back to the Word of God. And I think, in my opinion, one of the greatest examples is the church in the city, the ancient city of Antioch. It's a wonderful, wonderful church. If you have a minute, I'd like for you to open the Word of God to Acts chapter number 11. Acts chapter number 11, I'll take a few minutes and share an important thought with you. The Quechua people taught me something important. They said, the American has a watch, the Quechua man has time. And I thought, ooh, that'll preach right there. That's a, I mean, that's just meddling, you know. (laughs) But that's true, you know. Let's take a few minutes and just look at the word of God. And we'll spend some time here at our table afterwards if you have questions. We would love to tell you more about the Quechua ministry and about the Quechua people. Acts chapter number 11, verse number 19. The Bible says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, Preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. We're going to take just a few minutes and think about a few characteristics. Characteristics of a model church. First will be this. A model church is committed to biblical leadership. A model church is committed to biblical leadership. Let's keep reading. Verse number 22, the Bible says, Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. It's interesting here that the, we know at this time in Jerusalem is, is kind of the main church and Jesus' apostles, they're the leaders, the pastors of that church. When they hear that there's a group of believers in Antioch, it's interesting that they say, you know, we don't, it's not that they need an offering necessarily. They don't necessarily need, you know, special lighting or, or anything like that. So the, the building is not their biggest need. You know what they need? They need a man of God who will lead them. We need somebody who will protect them from false teachers and false teaching. We need someone who will lead them spiritually. Someone who will be a pastor for them. So that's what they do. They provide a pastor for them. Aren't you thankful for a godly pastor? I met your pastor yesterday. He's not here to, uh, to, uh, you know, to defend himself, but I'll, I'll say all nice things about him. He was a great guy. We, we loved him, honestly. His wife is the star of the show. I learned that yesterday. There's no doubt about that. She was something special. But he was so kind. I mean, he was really, really kind to our family. He took the time to talk to us, ask us questions. And aren't you thankful for a pastor like that? It's a gift from God. Ephesians chapter 4 says that. They're gifts from the Lord Jesus Christ to his church, the pastor. This is Pastor Appreciation Month, and I hope you share your appreciation by sending him text messages all week long, how much you love him. And No, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Aren't you thankful? Godly pastors. You know, in the mission field, that's one of the greatest problems we're facing. Missionaries go, and we have great zeal. We try to win a lot of people. We get a bunch of people together, and often we build buildings but a lot of times, those buildings have been left, those churches have been left without godly pastors. That's a big problem on the mission field and we're working hard as missionaries to train local pastors. All missionaries, you see that more and more, we're focusing, because why? We see now, model churches, great churches, strong churches have godly leadership. That's very, very, very important. We see in Barnabas that he was, in my opinion, one of, the, my, one of my favorite um, personalities in the Bible. And uh, you get down, you see here in verse number 24, the Bible says, For he was a good man, talking about Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. You know, if you flip over to, to Timothy and Titus, you'll see there the, the list of qualifications that God expects of a pastor. And over there, you, you see all the specific things. But when you look at Barnabas, you see somebody, really, it's, it's just his heart that you see. He's just a man of God, he's just faithful. He loves the Lord, he's full of the Holy Spirit. And that's the kind of person, that's the kind of man that they chose to be the pastor of their church. They were committed to godly leadership. You see also in verse number 23, the Bible says, And he came and he had seen the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Barnabas was an encourager. He encouraged the people. You know, sometimes we get down in our faith. Sometimes we, we see all the circumstances and everything going on around us, and we think to ourselves, there's no way out of this. I can't see where I go from here. I, I don't know. Maybe I don't understand something I'm reading in the Word. Maybe I'm stuck in my prayer life. And God sends the pastor along at just the right time, just to encourage us, just to, you know, nudge us on just a little bit, just what we need to hear, just the right time. Aren't you thankful for a godly pastor like that? That's what this church in Antioch had in Barnabas. You know, Barnabas was a very humble man too. Very, very humble. Look at um, verse number 22, if we read, read that one again. It said, now the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barthas to go as Antioch. Came, he had, sorry about that, he had seen the grace of God and was glad. He was glad. That's interesting. Do you ever feel competition in the church? You ever see somebody else doing a ministry and you think to yourself, I think my ministry is better. I mean, none of y'all have ever thought that. You know other people who have thought those kinds of things. Or you go somewhere and you you see God's at work, but you think, you know, but God's not really at work there. If I do this, then God will really be at work. Barnabas, when he showed up, he saw God's already at work here. God has used other people to start his work here. And Barnabas says, hey, this is great. I'm all about this. He wasn't worried about it. He didn't feel threatened by other people in ministry. Do you know that Barnabas was already mentioned before this in Acts chapter number 4? Have you all seen that before? Barnabas is there in Acts chapter number 4. There's a great need, and uh, he gets the idea to sell his land and give the money to those in need. What a wonderful opportunity, you know? He gives his money. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira had had an idea there in Acts chapter number 5. It didn't turn out too well. But if you go a little bit further, you get on to Acts chapter number 6. You remember that? There was a great need in the church. And the leaders of the church said, hey, all you members, I want you to choose some men who can lead this ministry. And they go out, they choose these men. You know who wasn't chosen? Barnabas. Do you think he got cantaguerous? you think he got upset? I don't think he did. Do you think he reminded the leaders, hey, did you forget that offering I gave back in Acts 4? You know I paid for this thing. Why wasn't I chosen? We don't see anything like that in the life of Barnabas. He was a humble man. That's the kind of man I want to be. All of us should have that desire. That's a model church. A model church is led and guided by godly spiritual leadership. Spiritual, I'm sorry, model churches also are committed to discipleship. They're committed to discipleship. I can tell already that your church is all about discipleship. I can tell it from the things you got on the walls, from the little booklets you make, that little connect booklet. I don't know who's in charge of that. That thing's amazing. I can tell you care about discipleship. It means something to you here to not just make converts, but to make disciples. I mean, that is the great commission after all, you know, it's to make disciples. And I can tell that means something here. That's a model church. That's a model church. They're committed to discipleship. If you look at verse, start at verse 25, the Bible says, then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Saul. That's another sign of that humility, isn't it? He's willing to say, hey, I need some help. And he goes and gets Saul, who would later become Paul. Verse 26, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. They were devoted to discipleship. You know, the the Great Commission really involves two things. It involves evangelism and discipleship. If we only do one of those, that's one out of two. Now, if you're a baseball player, that's a that's a five hundred percent, that's a great batting average. You're gonna get a forty million dollar contract. But this isn't baseball. You one for two, that's an F. You're failing. We're all failing. If we only do one side of the Great Commission, we're failing. If we only lead people to Jesus and, and then say, Good luck, we're failing at the Great Commission. But when we take that time to say, I'm going to invest my life in yours, I'm going to spend time with you until I see you growing in the Lord. I'm going to invest my life into yours until I see you growing in the Lord. That's called discipleship. There's so many different ways to do that. But what it is is being committed to that. We're not done at the moment of salvation. We're not done at the moment of baptism. We're done when we all get to glory. That's when we're done. (laughs) Until then, we keep serving, we keep teaching, we keep discipling, we keep helping others grow in the faith. You know, the the Great Commission, I love the words of the Great Commission. It would be so much easier, though, if Jesus would have said this. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, teaching them all things that I have commanded you. Wouldn't that have been easier? Did you catch the difference? Sometimes we view it that way teaching them all things that I commanded. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, teaching them, all, teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you, teaching them to observe all things. In other words, I can't just stand here and, and give it all to you. I have to stand here and then walk with you until you're obeying these things. And you help me obey these things, and I see you helping others obey these things. That's discipleship. That's what our churches should be committed to. You know It's easy. It's easy to grow a crowd, to gather a crowd. You know it's hard, you know it's hard work in ministry, in church, it's walking with those people. Picking them up when they fall, helping them grow little by little, being patient, not getting frustrated. Remember how God has forgiven us, forgiving us and we forgive them and we help them. Walk, walk, walk as they grow in the Lord. That's hard work, but that's a model church. Model church is committed to discipleship. One more thing I'd like you to see. A model church is committed to missions. A model church is committed to missions. This church was amazing here in Acts chapter number 11, and then in Acts chapter number 13, the Holy Spirit decided to ruin the whole thing in Acts chapter number 13. You jump over to Acts chapter number 13, you see the Bible says in verse 1, now in the church. That was at Antioch, there was, a, there was certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas and all the others. that gives the list. I'm not going to try to pronounce those in English. I can't even pronounce them in any other language. So we're going to jump down to verse number two. The Bible says, and they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called. And then verse number three, then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. Can you imagine what it would be like, I mean, to really, really, really love your pastor, and to be thankful for him, to walk with him, and, 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 and remember all the times that he has walked with you, all the hard times, all the good times, he's been right there through everything. And when you look back over your life, you, you say, I know the Lord the way I know him, in big part because of my pastor, and I love him, and I'm thankful for him. And then out of nowhere, God says, it's time to say bye, it's time for him to move on, to another ministry. Do you realize how much that would hurt? Some of you probably experienced that, you know what it's like. That hurts deeply when that has to happen. We don't like to say goodbye. We weren't created to say goodbye and we know the day's coming where we won't have to anymore. God didn't create us to enjoy goodbyes. But especially when we think about a pastor and we have to say goodbye. But I think it's amazing that this church, even though I assume they did not want to say goodbye, the Bible says in verse three, they immediately laid their hands on them, they fasted, prayed, And they sent them off. Why? Because they weren't committed to what they wanted. They were committed to what God wanted. And what God wanted at this time was that the whole western part, whole really Europe eventually would be open to the gospel of Jesus Christ through these men. That's what the Holy Spirit wanted. And they said, that's what you want? Holy Spirit? Then we're on board. We're ready to do it. What an opportunity that would be. How hard is that though? But this church is committed. They're committed to it. I think when we think about missions too, we need to remember that missions is not just about going on on an adventure. It's not just about doing something that, that we enjoy. Missions really, as a church especially, when we're committed to missions, what we're saying is everything that we are committed to here, we're committed to doing that somewhere else. Exactly what we're doing here. We don't want to forget about discipleship. We don't want to forget about the importance of pastoral ministry and things like that somewhere else. We wouldn't forget about those things here, and so we need to be committed to those things over there. You understand what I'm saying? When we think about missions, we need to say, you know, we're, we're happy for salvations and baptisms and churches that have been planted. We love to hear those things, but we also need to be concerned, in who's their pastor? Who's walking with them now? How are they gonna grow? Who's gonna disciple these people? That's extremely, extremely important. And as churches, we want to be committed to missions. That takes a lot. It takes a big sacrifice. Your church has made a lot of sacrifices. If you hadn't given so much money to missions, you probably could have a bigger building. This is a beautiful building, you know. But you know what happens? The Lord blesses. You step out by faith and you give, and the Lord blesses. You step out by faith more, and God blesses more. He keeps blessing and blessing and blessing. Why? Because it's not about us. It's about what God wants. And we're going to stay committed to God's plan. God's plan is missions, and we stay committed to that. We have a man in our involved in our family for all the wrong reasons. He's a he's a witch doctor. We have a lot of witch doctors where we are. Uh, Shaman, if you've heard that word, that's the word they use in Ecuador. His name is Wilman. He's done everything to get rid of our family out of the villages that we're in. The devil has a stronghold in the area that we're at, and you know when it's really, really, really dark and light comes in, you know how it bothers you? What that happens, the same thing happens on the mission field. When it's really, really dark, and the light of the gospel comes in, everybody gets upset. Satan's not happy, the demons are upset, everybody's upset. The witch doctors, they're beside themselves. This one guy, he does not want us there. I'm talking he's given us spells, he has called us to be arrested, he has sent people after us to get rid of us, everything. He has tried his best to get rid of us. And then, because the Lord has a sense of humor, his daughter, who's about, she was about 22, she came to our church one time, and the door began to open and we began to share the gospel with her. Her name is Jaconda, and about a year later, after sharing the gospel with her, she got saved. The Lord's good, isn't he? It's funny how the people he chooses, you know? She gets saved about the same time a young man begins coming to, began to come to our church. He got saved, and we're discipling them both. My wife's working with the lady, I'm working with the young man. And they're spending time together. They're about the same age. It's inevitable. Discipleship eventually turned to premarital counseling. And we headed down that road. And the Lord blessed them in an incredible way. They got married. They were baptized on the same day. And Jaconda, when she was 15, she had a little boy. His name is Derek, one of Levi's best friends. And Derek, I'd like to show you their picture now so you can see who I'm talking about here. So Derek is the little boy here. Derek... He's, uh, oh, the other little boy is Tommy. Uh, He is uh, David and Jaconda. It's their little baby. They have a little baby together now. And the Lord has blessed them in an incredible way. Uh, David preached at our church last Sunday. Jaconda is leading our children's ministry right now, teaching for us. Can you imagine that? She grew up in a witch doctor's home, and now she's teaching little children about, about the gospel. You know what's amazing is that Jaconda can't talk to her dad about the gospel. He won't listen to her. He doesn't want anything to do with her. But you know who can talk to her to him? Is that little boy right there, Derek. He say, "Granddad, how many of y'all have weird grandparents? How many of y'all are weird grandparents? You know, some of y'all <laughs> Nobody's going to admit that one. Well, his, his granddad's a wish doctor. And you know what? Jaconda always tells us that she hears Derek talking with his, his granddad about creation, telling his granddad, God had to create all of this, telling his granddad about the gospel. On Thursday nights we have a time of prayer and I always ask, anybody have a prayer request? I see a little hand go up. Every, every week, Derek says, pray for my grandparents that they receive the gospel. This is why we do missions for families like this. In this family, all over the world, your, your church has been touching families just like this all over the world. In heaven, you're gonna see the fruit. It's a sacrifice now, but a model church, a good church, a strong church, this is what you're committed to, to seeing God do this all over the world. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an honor to be here with you tonight.